Coming to a belief in the resurrection is powerful in that you recognize something very unusual took place, different than any of us could participate in, in the natural, and to acknowledge that Jesus had a power over death in a way that no one else has exhibited. When you come to that, then it's easy to embrace, oh, he died for my sin and restoration. But what does that mean? You know, where does it take us? And I'd like to spend a few minutes on, on some of those thoughts today and even tying in our connection with creation in that when I was a kid and I was told, you know, you'd be forgiven of your sins and uh, you know, I'm glad I don't want to go to hell. That was, you know. The other side, though, oftentimes I had this picture of, well, you know, how you see the picture of clouds and a, a ukulele, you know, which obviously wasn't heaven. Uh, but even the, the, the thought, got that, huh? Even the thought for me of eternity praising God was, how would you do that, you know? It's, it sounds like, as a kid, it sounded about like a Sunday afternoon nap, you know? It's just like, Lord, help us, you know? You know, for me, I get a, I can define eternity by a four-hour movie, right? Gone with the Wind, Titanic. I rest my case. But that said, I don't think that's the intent of things. And so what I want to do is go back to creation. I want to look at the end of times in connection with that and then kind of where we're at in the middle of things, okay? So when we talk creation and even before the fall, there's some original design features put into that that are very significant. And what we need to grab onto is this, this is pre any kind of destruction or failure or sin, and so it's in a sense wired into us as a people. When, when you look at things and you're going, I, I love to create stuff. I love to make order out of chaos. I love to develop things. I, I love to see things put in place. That's appropriate for who you are. You're never going to escape that. And it isn't just about sitting with, you know, warm fuzzies about God, but there's this awareness that we were called to activity in him from the very beginning of time. So now we discovered that verse, you know, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, and it's more, about, it's more than making family, right? Um, that's more than the original call. Um, some of you have got making family down, but there's, there is more to it. <laughs> Seriously. Um, but... You know, the, in that, what we should see is that God desired to have a really big family and interact with them like a family, and that we are his choice, made in his image. And so when the natural development of populating God's family, so to speak, is the nuclear family where the parents know God and they're training their kids in the ways of God, 
And that development is an expansion that's normal and appropriate. Um, I, I was aware of two stories this week out of this group where a two-year-old boy, you know, his, his mom is sharing with him, and he goes, I want to know Jesus. And you're going, well, what can he know at two? Well, he gets started. What do we know at 60 or more? Well, we're getting started. You know, it, 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 it's the understanding is ever-expanding. Or then I heard of a three-year-old, you know, hearing the Easter story, crying when Jesus died, celebrating when he rose again. That should be the natural progression of training and development in life. And it, it should be the, the opportunity of growing in this awareness and growing in this understanding and continuing to make these decisions through life. So you're going to make that decision in your teens. You're going to make it in your 20s. You're going to make it in your 30s and 40s and on. You continue to choose and you continue to grow in your understanding of it. But there's nothing wrong with it being somewhat seamless in the transition from parents to children. In fact, it's appropriate. Now, when you hit the New Testament, there's a restoration work that's needed and disciple-making in some ways is bringing people into that awareness and allowing them to get started as well, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. What's that, what's that about? It's a, it's a parenting, so to speak, of the principles of the kingdom of God. Now, let's back to... <laughs> I am so far off track already. Um, I'm going to have one verse out of Ephesians. Ephesians 1.21. Paul is making a prayer for the Ephesians. He says, I want you to know the power of God. I want you to know what this is about. I want you to understand... In 21, he says, Christ rules over all forces, authorities, powers, and rulers. He rules over all beings in this world and will rule in the future world as well. So with the resurrection and with his conquering death, being seated at the right hand of God, he is given great authority, not in just this age, but in the age to come. So that said, um, God has put all things under power of Christ, for the good of the church, he has made him the head over everything. So that's our tie-in, so to speak. When we got into Genesis and we said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. The idea of subduing and ruling is something, and filling is something that, you know, we look at today and say, in our culture, it's like, is that even Right? You know, filling the earth, what do you mean, overpopulation? You're called to overpopulation? Really? And there's an anger that comes out in, in, in many. Um, there's a lot of directions to go with that. Subduing and ruling. I, I want to give you some positive examples. Um, I want to note that Starvation is regularly the result of people's greed and withholding from others. It isn't necessarily a food issue. And if you examine different nations where uh, 
Poverty and hunger is, is rampant. Often that has to do with their political systems, not so much food. In fact, there's enough food produced in the world to feed people. It just doesn't get to them. Secondly, when we talk about things like mining, you know, often greed destroys landscapes and everything else. It's true. You know, you, you, you look at pictures of the gold mining and, and you realize it isn't just the destruction of landscape, it's also the destruction of people because greedy individuals force others into a, essentially slave labor so they can become wealthy in themselves. You see that with forestry as well. I, when, when we were in the Philippines years ago, I remember seeing whole mountainsides that had just been stripped bare by one of the companies from here in the U.S., in the U.S., that wouldn't be allowed, but they had gotten by the law there. And so you see these massive mountains and hillsides just, just completely stripped of all trees and lumber, you know, so somebody could get wealthy. That's not the kind of stewardship that God was calling us to. But it is a, a dominance because of the greed that tends to exist within our hearts. But... When God created humanity and said, fill the earth and subdue it, I want to point to you what else is pictured in that creation scene. In chapter 2, it says, no bush of the field was yet there. No plant of the field had yet sprung up. There wasn't any rain yet. There was a mist going over the land, watering the whole face of the earth. It says, the Lord planted a garden, put man in it, and it said, he caused every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food to be placed there. It goes on to say that there was a river flowing out of Eden. That's important to me a little bit later, okay? And God took man, put him in, and told him to take care of it and look after it. So he plants this beautiful garden, puts man in it, and this is, I want you to oversee this. And the potential in my mind is that thing would be ever expanding as they invested and filled the earth, so to speak. He also took some soil and made animals and birds. He brought them to man to see what he would name, what name he would give each of them. Now Very few animals are going to come see me. But in that picture, there's an interaction that goes beyond what we know, right? In fact, when we read the flood account, we also read of the animals coming two by two. And there's a, a connector, so to speak, that we're unused to. After the flood, it's interesting that God gives uh, humanity meat to eat, and I don't want to even go down that road today. But I also know that uh, in connection with hunting, guys are told, uh, if you want animals not to know you're a meat eater, eat veggies for a while before you go hunt. There are factors involved with this that go beyond what our normal understanding is. That said... I want to read a bit of the end of the story out of Revelation 22. No longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, 
and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. There will be no need for light. They will reign forever and ever. And uh, (laughs) I skipped a couple verses. I've got to go there, though. Revelation 1 and 2. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city and on either side of the river, the tree of life, and its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. Leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You look at that and you're going, the very beginning starts of the garden. The very end, in a sense, has a garden with plants doing way beyond what we think possible. You see a river flowing crystal clear, and you're going, there's a connector here. It's very similar to the, to the creation account. But who is ruling and subduing? With Jesus over all things and ruling all things, in a sense, the power and authority that's been given to him is being exerted over creation in a way that was designed from the beginning of time. And so what's, what's going on at the end of times is the fullness of what was seen by God and started in the beginning. This isn't just a wasted venture, but it's something that was developed from the beginning of time. It had an intent and a purpose and a value that goes on. Now, let's, lest you think I'm just wandering, let's go to Romans 8. I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And if you stop there, you're going, well, yeah, right. That's, that's what we talk about usually. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that a whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and only creation, but we not only creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. So he says, the very tension that we feel in waiting for God to put all things in order. His return is a tension that is felt in creation itself. You really remember when the the curse was brought forth, it was said that thorns and thistles would grow up, men would have to live by the sweat of their brow. It was greatly complicating things. But then this picture that you read in Scripture and that you hear even And Romans saying there is a frustration with it all because it was all meant to function together and work together. It's interesting to me that when Jesus is on earth and he's doing miracles and he does things like calm the storm and you're going, huh? He takes authority over the storm and and he calms it? Huh, I wonder where that could go. Control of the weather? 
And then you're, you're going, okay, maybe it was appropriate that at uh, the death of Jesus that there would be darkness over the land and an earthquake. Or even creation speaking out against it. Or you start wrestling through, it, it lends a whole new understanding to even like the, the story of the fig tree when Jesus curses it and it dies. I don't understand a lot about figs. Uh, but in the reading that I did, it said that a fig tree with leaves normally has fruit because the fruit starts before the leaves come and then the leaves, in a sense, are, are covering it. And I'm in over my head as far as the application of this. I just know that he cursed it, it died. You know, it's, it's one of those things. He had power over that tree. And, and so when we talk about a resurrection and showing power over death, yeah, we're into that because that means life. It means what has controlled all of creation and all of humanity is conquered. And then we get to participate in that as well. You know, that's, that's awesome, but where is it, where is it going is the, is the question in my mind. And, and then I go back and I, I read something like Isaiah 11, and it, it has a whole different meaning to me. Isaiah 11, like a branch that sprouts from a stump, someone from David's line will someday be king. The Spirit of the Lord will be with him and give him understanding, wisdom, and insight, and he will be powerful, and he will know and honor the Lord. We associate that with Jesus, right? That's a, a prophecy given about Jesus. We say, yeah, that's him, that's him. His greatest joy will be to obey the Lord. He won't judge by appearances or listen to rumors. Poor and needy will be treated with fairness and justice. Going, yeah, yeah, that's, that's restoring society even. That's restoring community. It's great. Here's where it gets freaky for me. Leopards will lie down with young goats. Wolves will rest with lambs. Calves and lions will eat together and be cared for by little children. Cows and bears will share the same pasture. Their young will rest side by side. Lions and oxen will both eat straw. Little children will play near snake holes. They'll stick their hands into the dens of poisoned snakes and never be hurt. Nothing harmful will take place on the Lord's holy mountain. Just as the waters cover the sea and the land will be filled with people who know and honor the Lord. You, know, you, you, you look at that and you're going, I'm tempted to just say that's poetic because I don't ever see anything quite like that happening. And yet, if that theme is something that carries through, Isaiah dreams of a day of that and sees it, and he associates it with the Messiah. And then Paul's saying creation still hasn't, still hasn't discovered the fullness of what God intends for it. We're told that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and that we will live with God forever, and that that new earth is going to have 
healing and wholeness in ways that we didn't dream possible. That's something incredible to think about and long for. And it gets to be more than, did you learn your Bible verse this week? Did you get to church? Did you read your Bible? You know, we can make it so anemic and, you know, turn something wondrous into boredom. Yet if we, if we catch a hold of what, what is going to be and what is available, that's something to dream about and long for. That's something to anticipate. That's something that even in the present, we practice a form of it and we say, well, yeah, it's incomplete and it's, it's not at all what's going to be, but it, this is a potential that, that, that lays in store. I once lived in a town named Crystal Lake. By the time I got there, Crystal Lake wasn't crystal. Um, it had been a, a vacation spot from the city. People built their cabins all around it. And, of course, in that day, they all had their own sewers and septic and, and had no understanding that things would leach into the lake and cause green and other disgusting things to grow. And, and so when you get there, there'd be certain times of the year, don't go swimming in this lake right now. You know, and it, crystal wasn't crystal, for sure. In that same town, a, a, a gravel pit dug gravel out of the ground for years and years and years and years. And then this little pond at the bottom got bigger and bigger, and, and soon uh, it was lake size. And the city and local government said, you're not leaving this thing until you restore it somewhat. And so the plan was made to turn it into a huge park and they plant trees and grass and everything else. And what's there now is a crystal lake. Gorgeous. And to me, that's, that's where things should go. And I don't want to be preoccupied with that, but it's a glimpse of what to subdue and rule the earth looks like in a positive sense. And if Christ is going to show us how to do things, he not only has walked through death, he is showing us how to rule and reign in a way that brings life rather than destruction not built on greed, not built on self-serving, not built on just uh, doing with limited understanding, but to have an, a, a, a scope in regard to creation that says, this thing is great and it can even be better. I, I look at that and I just... Yeah, it's not your traditional... Resurrection sermon, that's for sure. But I'm just, I'm amazed at such a thing, and I, I think, I'd like to be a part of that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm grateful that I don't have to look at my past and, and all the time be associating guilt and fear over something coming back and biting me. I'm very thrilled with that. But there's got to be a forward-looking as well. 
And we're given enough hints in Scripture as to something extremely dynamic and wondrous. And what an honor it is for us to participate in the kingdom of God that way. Psalm 8. Some of you know it by, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Our Lord and ruler, your name is wonderful everywhere on earth. You let your glory be seen in the heavens above. With praises from children and from tiny infants, you've built a fortress. It makes your enemies silent, and all who turn against you are speechless. I often think of the heavens and your hands have made, the moon and the stars you put in place, and ask, why do you care about us humans? Why are you concerned about us weaklings? You made us a little lower than yourself. You've crowned us with glory and honor. You've let us rule everything your hands have made. You put all of it under our power, the sheep and the cattle and every wild animal, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, and all the ocean creatures. Our Lord and ruler, your name is wonderful everywhere on the earth. That was written by David, a thousand years before Christ. He had a glimpse. He caught just a, a hint of it and said, what's going on here? And why would you do that? But that's the door open to us in our salvation. So when we pray and ask God for forgiveness of sins and a restoration of relationship with God, we're acknowledging that it's a restoration that not only is going to be with God in a sense developing amazing family, but it's also a restoration of our relationship to creation in the future. It's powerful. So Lord, help us to dream big. Help us to catch a hold of what you have for us. Help us to know that what we're stepping into isn't just um, minute and simplistic, but there's complexity that goes beyond us. I think that given this and the placement of our lives, we have the right to pray regularly and say, show me how to bring benefit to my situation. Show me how to see relationships restored. Show me how to see community developed. Show me how to interact with creation in a way that's honoring of you. I think that's all available to us. I think that's our future. Praise to the Lord. Initially, of course, I want you to have peace with God. But it's got to go somewhere. I want you to know God. Okay? You can waste all your time trying to decide whether it's real or not. You, you can blow through years that way. And just uh, and sometimes it becomes an excuse not to do anything. And I'd warn you that because that's a wasted life. But if you make that commitment to it and you know in your heart that it's real, then it's also got to go somewhere, right? And so that's what we pray. We pray that in our relationships with each other, that we learn the language of heaven, that we learn to love, because that, 
That's the only way that you're going to exist in community for eternity, much less a few years here on earth. And so, you know, we say that's an ex important, important lesson to learn. And, and so, God, teach us how to love you, but teach us how to love each other in a way that's honoring of you. Then help us to look outward and say, I was created to make things and to develop and to put things in order and in place and let me see where my niche is in this is even in this lifetime so that sense of destiny and purpose is is mine as well some for some of you that's working with people every single day and just bringing a, a measure of blessing into their lives some of you are going to go out and start a garden well you know good for you <laughs> that's another expression um, but it's, it's this thing of saying, in this lifetime, there is value and purpose and things to accomplish, not just sitting and observing. And eternity is going to be the same way. And we want to set ourselves up to participate in that, in the Lord. If you'd like prayer this morning, uh, it's easiest if you come forward for others to see you. If you hang around long enough, we'll find you anyway. Uh, what remains is open-ended worship. We wish you a wonderful Easter day. Uh, trust that you'll have the opportunity of sharing that with others. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy your purposes from the beginning of time. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. I would ask that you would gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. We thank you for your mighty salvation and the healing of all things. Amen. God bless you.